In a socially distant market, the use of digital, mobile, and immersive technology isn't just an option, it's an imperative. Consumers are looking for experiences that provide relevance, convenience, and safety. From the increased use of telemedicine to contactless payments and checkout. I'm Wilson Raj, and welcome to Reimagine Marketing Podcast, episode number two Connecting with Tomorrow's Digital Consumer Today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this podcast. I am joined by my special guest, Bernard Marr, who is a best selling author, futurist, and expert in uh, digital transformation strategies and, and technologies. Hello, Bernard. Thank you so much for having me, Wilson. It's really good to be with you again. We, we did some webinars together recently, and I'm really looking forward to doing this podcast with you. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the last uh, webcast that we did was around this topic around the digital consumer and, and what has happened uh, in the last year the, the effects of uh, the pandemic, uh, economic disruptions, and and then how are consumers responding to that and then how brands are responding back. So uh, we had a great webcast just recently, and this is really an extension of that because there's so many great points and, and uh, things that you were sharing that we felt, hey, we got to get this out to the audience. Great. Now I'm looking forward to it. To get things uh, started, I think uh, it'd be great to talk a little bit about, again, sort of uh, your journey. You know, this topic is certainly not new. You've addressed it many times. But tell us a little bit about your journey up to this point, you know, as, a, as an author. And I think I'm more interested in the futurist part. Yeah, so I, I started my, my career at Cambridge University. I grew up in Germany, then came over to Cambridge to finish my degree. And they then offered me a job, which I thought is a, a great place to start your career. So I joined joined the faculty there. And then I moved from Cambridge to Cranfield School of Management, where I did lots of research and also consulting work on business strategy, on technologies, on digital transformation and how companies use data. And I've literally never done anything else. I've always been in this space, initially helping companies to use data more effectively. Then it moved into analytics, into big data, into AI. Then I broadened this out into all major technologies because AI impacts everything. And and then I started to write for Forbes on on all future technology trends. And this is this is how I started. Fantastic. And and this is something I asked, uh, you know, pretty much all the the my guess on the on the show at least uh do you have a a favorite quote or a saying you know, probably it's, uh, you probably have a lot of them yourself something that that you you kind of use as a principle when you talk to customers and clients and and think about uh, you know current technology and, and and future scenarios for me the the key thing when i talk to my customers is that they have to start with their customers and they have to make sure that they really think about how they're adding value to their customers and then they need to translate this into their business strategy and then they need to make sure that their digital transformation is in line with their business strategy and then their data strategy is in line with all of this. So for me, it starts with the customer and if you always remember this, then you will be a successful business. All right, so they have it starting with the customer, not with anything else. I think that's a, a huge salient point. So to, to get on to our um, topic today, you know, the first part we're going to talk about is really that this dynamics of this new digital consumer, or, or we can call 
uh, him or her, the tech-infused buyer. And some of the uh, content that we're going to talk about is was taken from a very recent Experience 2030 Pulse report that surveyed about, you know, an excess of 600 uh, respondents uh, globally around their consumer behaviors and how brands were responding uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic. So pretty much, you know, the, the latter half of last year. Uh, and, and some interesting stats came out. For, for example, you know, we found there's a, a faster, a greater, a deeper adoption of, of these uh, immersive technologies. Almost 70% of consumers said they expect to use augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality to experience products and services you know, in the coming year. So there's, there's an uptake there. And then about 63% said they would visit a remote location or venue using these very same technologies. In other words, less in-live events. So, uh, you know, the question is, how are consumers adapting to this new digital reality and how this, is this affecting personalization, right, from a brand standpoint? Very good question. So for me, we've all experienced this now that we simply had to adapt to 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 all of this because of the pandemic, because suddenly from one day to the other, everyone was stuck at home. We had to work from home, shop from home, bank from home, have more home-based entertainment and more uh, digital events. So I, I think we've adopted incredibly well to all of this as, as a population of this world. And for me, what we are now seeing is that lots of things are, have shifted to digital first. Um, and we've obviously all started to upgrade our systems at home. Initially, people were struggling. They might not have had the, the cameras, the microphones, the networks at home and all of this in place. Nowadays, we can do this. And, right. and, and, and for me, personalization has simply become uh, an expectation of consumers, of me. I get really frustrated when I speak to a company I'm dealing with and th and think they should really understand me as a customer. Let's take my bank or an insurance company. And when they don't, I get really annoyed. And I think there are lots of companies that are still struggling with this. I was working with a, a telecom company, for example. And when we started working with them, they had lots of silos. They So they couldn't even see their customers holistically. Because if you think about this, you might have a broadband subscription, you might have an entertainment package, you have a mobile phone subscription as a family, you might have multiple of these. And they were seeing all of these as individual customers. So to get this holistic view was initially really difficult. And if you don't have this, you then also haven't got this holistic understanding of your customers, which then inhibits everything and you can't really do any of this personalization. Right. And, and, you know, I think uh, when we had some uh, previous conversations, there were some great personal examples that you showed around how organizations today are stepping up in this more holistic view, to your point, uh, using data and, and these immersive technologies, but also, you know, really surprising the consumer, you know, and, and, and we saw this acceleration of these things literally in the last, you know, year. So uh, what, what were some of the things that stood out to you personally, some brand experiences, for example, that you noted that speak to what, what you said earlier? 
Yeah, so there's so so many different examples. And for me, some of the companies that have started to use extended reality, I, I think, are, are, are great examples. Companies like Dulux, Dulux, a, a, a paint manufacturer that is now enabling all of us to check out what our wall will actually look like with the mm. different shades of, of, of greens and reds and whatever we might want to paint our walls with. I think I've definitely been there in the past where you head to the DIY shop, you buy lots of samples, you put them on your wall and then you choose one. And then when you end up painting the entire wall, you realize actually this wasn't really the color I was hoping for. Absolutely. So, and, and for me, there are companies that do this really well. Companies like Amazon, for example, they have really reimagine themselves and have thought about okay how how do we build customer relationships how do we i think when you first asked me about the mantra and some of my favorite quotes i, I think what companies need to do that need, they need to think about how they solve customer problems mm. not how they sell products and this for me is what companies like apple are doing really well and then they need to think about how do they engage with those companies so especially building a subscription model uh, where you can continuously engage with them and where Offline is online and online is offline. So if I walk into uh, an Apple shop, which I can't do at the moment, but in the past, they know me digitally. I can pay digitally. They understand who I am as a customer. At the same time, even at the beginning of this customer journey, I can browse their latest products and I can even use augmented reality to put the latest iPhone right into my kitchen. I can walk around and zoom in, zoom out. And for me, there are some of the key things that they're engaging with me. They're building this continuous relationship and where I have this seamless experience from mm -hmm. augmented reality to virtual reality to websites to physical stores. And they all seem to work in harmony, which which I think is a, is a great example. I think, you know, the, the big point you bring that uh, you, you talk about the, uh, the continuity of experience, uh, more so than the consistency of experience. So the Dulux uh, example, right, is basically, you know, that's something that you're trying before you're buying. Right. Uh, you haven't, you know, you've gone through all that purchase awareness and you've cut all the way down to, all right, let me put this on the wall with this augmented reality. And I think IKEA is another one. Uh, I, I read some, uh, you know, just recently where they have also partnered with an AR, an augmented reality vendor, where you can actually use their uh, app on Instagram to be able to project what a shelving unit would look like. Uh, and I've done, uh, you know, put together IKEA, you know, products and boy, it takes sometimes, you know, months for me, <laughs> but here it, it actually projects on a wall, what a unit would look like, the space, you can even envision, you know, uh, putting things up there. Uh, and then if you like it, like the arrangement, you know, you can move it around, you can just press a button and boom, those, uh, those pieces, those units are exactly, you know, shipped to you. It's just frictionless. So yeah, and, uh, and, and this amazing. is a great example for me. For, for me, it's absolutely vital that we think about how do we make this whole customer experience better. So in the mm -hmm. past, if you, and, and IKEA is a good example because I don't particularly like walking through an IKEA building because you're, you get channeled, uh, like it should really take 10 minutes, takes 30 minutes because yeah. they want you to, to see and everything. You always end up at the meatball section, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, and, and, and for me, there's still a challenge because sometimes you look at furniture and you still don't know, okay, I've seen this in the shop now. It looks nicely set up, but what will this actually look like in yes. my setting? And, and this is where actually VR and AR supersedes what we can do in the physical world where you can actually place it into your room and and we see the same in try before you buy in in makeup l'oreal is now allowing you to try on different makeup shades where you can try on hats you can try on um, jewelry and for me this is a real differentiator if companies get this right this this whole virtual channel using augmented and virtual reality to help customers experience the product before they even buy it right now you know before we shift shift to the uh, evolved strategies you know from a brand perspective just one uh, thought i just wanted to see what what you think you know so have Consumer behavior today, has it been forced into sort of this kind of digital or physically distant model? Is this something that's temporary, maybe for the next, this year into next year? Or is that something you think that will carry on? Or at some point it'll just go away? I'm just curious as, as to what you think this digital, physical, you know, balance would look like. So I, I I very firmly believe that our world has changed forever. Mm. And um, I believe that this will last. I believe that um, many things will never come back. And if I just think about some of the clients I have, some of the biggest companies around the world, many of them are now selling their real estate, their their headquarters, because they realize com- people can work from home. We And if we're working from home, we can do everything else from home. So we, what we will see in the future is this digital first, and then maybe a hybrid model where it is appropriate. For me, what is key is that companies need to think, what is actually the value of what we've had before? And yeah. is digital better? And if you think about this whole idea idea of try before you buy. One of the examples I often talk about is buying glasses. So my I've taken my daughter who wears glasses to the optician many, many times to have her annual eye a check and then what usually happens is at the at the end of the check you then end up in the showroom and there you then select your next pair of glasses but she now is a teenager she wants some cool glasses and the shop usually doesn't have what she's looking for so she's right. she ends up buying something that is the closest to what she would really like and obviously now during the pandemic you don't want to go into any shop to try on mm. anything and there are companies like Warby Parker that do this really well, that are offering a virtual interface. So you can use your smartphone, you can use your computer, and you try on glasses virtually. And not just this, they, they will use artificial intelligence to scan your face and see, okay, you're, you're a teenager, you're female, your head is shaped in this way, and then they will recommend glasses to you. And I, I think in an ideal world, you would have this when you go to a physical shop. You have someone that really understands what would suit me and then make recommendations. But the reality that I've experienced over my lifetime is very different, that the optician usually or the salesperson sits behind a counter and says, just try, try on all of them and see which ones you like. So actually the new digital first experience is better. I have a better experience, a, a better recommendation, better choice, and streamlines the, the entire process. 
That's fantastic. And I think, you know, you, you really you know, highlighted some of the key, you know, sort of capabilities uh, some of these successful brands like Deluxe or Ikea and Wabi Park are using. They're using or they're adopting technologies such as not just AR and, and VR, but they're using artificial intelligence such as, you know, elements, their machine learning, computer vision, right, in that example. And they're, they're optimizing that. And actually, the, this Pulse report showed that these technologies, the, the adoption of this is accelerating. Literally, they've been shortened from a three-year span or a four-year span to an 18 to 24-month span. So the, the acceleration, so uh, this integrated technology investments and uh, so that brands are now rethinking operation models. And uh, it's not just these technologies. They're also looking at, as you mentioned, automated subscription, chatbots, 5G, distributed ledgers, uh, blockchain, and so on. So the adoption of, of technology is uh, is so fast. So what are some of the things that brands now, sh shifting from the consumer now to the brand side, what do they need to think about to put this in a, in a way that's not just a tech stack, but something that adds value to the this new digital consumer that we've been talking about? Yeah, so for me, the key here is that you actually start with the customer. So the biggest mistake you can make is you look at all this really exciting technology saying, oh, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, 5G, let's put all of this in place and hopefully we will have a successful business. This mm -hmm. will never work unless we start with the customer in mind and really think, how do we add value? How do we solve their problems? And for me, Amazon is a great example because as a business, they've always done this. One of their strategic mantras is to be customer obsessed. And they actually have created this really nice process. So whenever they think about digital transformation, they are starting with a press release that will outline how this digital transformation has made the customer experience better. Mm -hmm. And this is their starting point. And then they go backwards and say, okay, how, how can we now use technology to actually implement this and make this better? So for me, it has to start with value creation, really thinking about how I'm adding value, how I'm making my, the journey for my customers easier and better. And then once you've done this, you can then think about, okay, how do we now establish a better relationship with our customers? This is also something really important, having this continuous engagement. And companies like Body Shop here in, here in the UK, they've done this really well. So they're a cosmetics company and they have now started a direct channel that is very successful. So something that companies like Avon have done for uh, initially, but they are now building this. So they have this continuous dialogue with their customers. They have this ability to understand what customers actually want and how their behaviors are shifting. And we've seen this in, in other Companies like Netflix have had this for a very long time. They have all the insights about what consumers actually are consuming, uh, what they're interested in. And this is why Disney was so keen to start Disney Plus, because they didn't really have this. They didn't have the, the intelligence and this understanding of what customers want. They can produce a mm -hmm. great film. 
they can then put this out on their channels, but all the organizations, the cinemas, the streaming services that are then showing this, they're getting all the data back saying, okay, obviously they're not just watching Disney films, they're also watching all these other films. So this consumer understanding was lacking and this is what Disney is now doing well. So for me, start with value, then build relationships and then use this understanding of your customers to drive insights to get the data and the insights that then help you to reshape your your customer value proposition you know bernard i mean what you talked about you know starting with the customer the value the relationship and then it's really this virtuous cycle and to me I, i've seen you know examples like this and the term for me is this yes this customer experience but it's really becoming more as relevance as a service just like you have software as a service, basically the customer is just expecting organizations to anticipate their needs and act on their behalf uh, in a continuous manner, using AI to eliminate navigation, you know, complex Absolutely. navigation or anticipate needs and then making smart decisions. And the one other example I've had uh, some experience with is, uh, is an online insurer, Lemonade. It's a small company, it used to be a startup in New York. And they're using the things, uh, Bernard, that you talked about, AI, data, forecasting, a chatbot that reviews an insurance claim, and then it checks it against the customer policy. It runs about 15 to 20 anti-fraud algorithms on it. It approves the claim, sends the wiring instructions to the customer's bank, and then lets the customer know like, hey, you've got the money in the bank. All this within three and a half seconds. I mean, that is truly sort of an example, example of relevance as a service. And again, all the examples that you talked about, I think, you know, uh, the new operating model is this notion of uh, relevance as a service. Now, along with that, Bernard, I think the, um, the fundamental thing here is the data. Are there, you know, are brands, you know, overlooking, uh, is, are there types of data that is, you know, left uncaptured or underutilized? that could really drive some of this, this virtuous cycle of value and engagement and relation that you've been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there is, there's lots of untapped data out there, but this also comes with a big warning here from, from me, because mm. what I don't want companies to do is to fall into this trap of collecting everything just in case. Sometimes when you listen to analytics companies and data vendors and storage vendors, they tell you, collect everything, because at some point it could become useful. I think this is a, a really dangerous route to go down along because what you want to do is you want to really figure out what data do I actually need and so okay. for me there with lots of my clients we approach this almost from a data minimization perspective where we say let's figure out the 20% of the data that we really need that will drive 80% of our value so when I worked with Shell the global energy company on their data strategy what we then made sure is that for, for every bit of data they were now putting into their cloud, we said, okay, well, let's make a, a business case for this. Mm -hmm. Why do we need this? How? What's the value of having this data? And for me, there are too many organizations that fall into this trap of simply dumping everything they could possibly measure and collect in terms of data and dump this into a big data lake and then hope that at some point this will become useful. So... 
At the same time, there are hugely untapped sources of data. So we now have data on almost anything. I remember working with a a local butcher's shop here in London. And when we started working with them, the, the founder, the dad who set up the business 50 odd years ago was very skeptical saying, okay, we don't need data. We don't need AI. We have some real world challenges here that we need to face. And so I said, okay, what, what are some of your real world challenges? And he said, okay, recently the library closed down. Now a supermarket has moved in and I now have some real competition here. And I don't even know what I'm competing on here. Am I competing against them on price, on something mm. else? So I said, okay, they're all really good questions. Let's figure out how we can start answering, answer some of these questions. So they needed to understand footfall, conversion ratios, what marketing messages would work and didn't work. And what we did is we installed a little device in the shopping window, a little Euclid device that picks up our mobile phone signals because we all carry smartphones and these smartphones always look for Bluetooth and Wi-Fi connections you have this little device that simply counts how many smartphones come past that try to connect to Bluetooth. And therefore you have a very accurate footfall. What we then did is once they had this information, they could then experiment with new marketing messages saying, okay, mm. let's put a sign out for a week saying we beat the supermarket on all beef and then see what the impact is. The next week, Let's try something different. Let's say, okay, come in for this family recipe that has been passed on through generation on lamb. And not only this, you get all the other ingredients as well. You get the recipe card and it is all locally sourced. And what was interesting is, and of course, yes, that those messages really worked. So what this butcher realized once they had the data is, Actually, it was not about price. It was really about engaging the community. It was about locally produced meat. It was about their tradition. And so this really gave them a new focus. So for me, it's absolutely important to understand the question first and then collect the data and find the data. And there's so much data out there, but we shouldn't fall into the trap of just collecting data right. for the sake of it. Wow, Bernard, I think this is one of the coolest examples I've heard. I mean, this is a family-owned butcher, right? And and they're using data in, in such an immersive way, right? The foot traffic, the digital devices that are passing by to be able to, to really understand and test their messages and, and their value and, and the, some of the offerings they're doing. What is interesting, uh, Wilson, is that this device cost a hundred dollars. Oh, so this is, and they simply subscribe to a little, to software as a service subscription. And when they started realizing how useful this is, they then also started to think, okay, what other data can we use? What other questions have we got? And they are now pulling in some weather data that the, the government makes available for free. And they can now use this to predict um, demand. So they, they can now, they know a week before, okay, the, the weather is going to be good at the weekend. So let's make some more sausages and burgers to get ready for barbecues and, and so on. So they, they've become a really data-driven company throughout this process, which is nice. It is. It's it's a spectacular example. And I think, you know, for them, you know, they didn't start with all data. They started with some core data and then started incrementally adding because they were asking you know, bigger questions, uh, you know, either related questions or adjacent questions. 
And then from there, it's like, okay, to answer this question, I need this sort of, I need weather data. Uh, I need traffic data, for example, and, and so on. So I think uh, th this this operating model is something that I think all brands, all enterprises, I mean, you know, if uh, this family-owned butcher shop can can do something like that and be be a math house and use that data in, in very creative ways, then I think, you know, the opportunity is, is available for, for everyone as well. So as we pivot to just a couple more elements, one of the things that we uh, that the Pulse report also talked about was around the um, convergence for the consumer around uh, not just personalization, but also trust and loyalty. How does that factor in? So we've been talking all about immersion and, and value. There's also a trust factor because of all this data that's connected and collected. So what are some of the guidance you would have for CX professionals around you know, balancing personalization with privacy? So trust for me is vitally important. Um, I've, I've talked about the importance of building relationships and engaging with your customers. And you can't do this unless you have trust. It's a bit like in, in our real world where we make friends and over time we build those relationships and, and these are usually built on trust. And companies that are building trust are the ones that are able to offer customers some real value and where customers really understand, okay, this company is actually on my side. So Vitality Health for me is a really good example. They are a health insurance company. And what they do is they they want you to be healthier. When you join them, you want to be healthier. So they're saying this is a win-win relationship. So when you join them, they send you an Apple Watch. So they you can track your own activity levels. They can track how active you are you can then link your online shopping account to them to demonstrate that you're buying healthy food and for me and then you earn rewards so you, you then say okay i'm healthier i then pay less for my health insurance for example i get benefits for this or in the financial services world where um i've done some work with the royal bank of scotland for example that wanted to develop better relationships with their customers. And I think in the past, financial services firms have almost used data against their customers. So they they offer them a great deal on a new financial product. And then they know that after six months or so, after a year, this will drop to almost zero interest rate. But we're not going to tell our customers this for a long time. And we will then earn lots of money. So what they said is that you can't have this engagement relationship if we are exploiting our customers. So what they now do is they actually tell their customers, okay, your insurance, uh, your 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 banking product, their their interest rate will drop to zero in six months time and three months time. Do you want us to find you better product? They will now tell you when you're paying twice for let's say travel insurance because as a premium customer you get travel insurance included. And and this for me is this is how you build trust, really delivering some value to your customers. Yeah, it's not it's not exploiting them, it's not optimizing your sales numbers by by selling this stuff by saying, hey, you know what, you can save money if you do these things with us. Uh, that is a totally a, you know, a switching of that script to build that trust, and obviously to make sure that trust and uh, data protection is is part and and parcel of this new customer experience. Hundred percent. All right. This has been a great conversation. We're going to kind of kind of head into the home stretch here. You know, as we think about the ability 
to deliver these products and services and experience uh, in, in this new era. As a futurist, I mean, you've probably seen this and, and you've, you've shared some of the ideas. What are the key one, two trends that you see will be coming up right this year and, and sort of into the next? Okay. I, I've written a book about the 25 biggest technology trends that will define this fourth industrial revolution. But if I look across all these 25, the, the key ones are that data is now becoming a core asset for organizations, helping them to understand their customers and everything else. Once they have the data, they can then use AI to automate their business using things like chatbots and machine vision. They can also augment and automate some of the analysis of the data. Mm -hmm. um, then 5G is a huge enabler that will transform so many business models. Um, I, I feel 5G is not really recognized ac across businesses of how transformative it will be. Then this whole as a service revolution. So more uh, subscription-based businesses that are delivered via the cloud and then extended reality. So augmented and virtual reality that will transform our customer experiences. They are for me the, the key trends that I am watching very closely and that are helping my clients to understand and prepare for. Excellent. In fact, the, the Pulse Report did surface some of these key areas around the data uptake, the acceleration of uh, automation and smart technologies such as AI within the brand uh, to do exactly those things. So, so that's, a, that's a key part. Now, you've been uh, speaking a, you know, a lot at different events and so on. So what is the one thing that you would have CMOs or uh, customer experience leaders focus on in response to the pandemic after effects? If you were to give, give them advice on one thing, what would that be? Yeah, so for me, there are two key words here. One is humility mm. and the other one is courage. So for me, what businesses and business leaders need to do is they need to really understand and listen and learn to what is going on around them. So we've gone through this, we're still going through this pandemic. So really understanding what customers are dealing with, how this is transforming their world, and then having the courage to actually respond to this in a really authentic manner and where you try to experiment and try out new technology that will then help you engage with those customers better. So they are for me the key things, humility and courage. Fantastic. I think those are absolutely key principles to live by, right? Whether you're in a state of disruption or even if things are going well. Bernard, where can they find you know, more information? You reference a book that you have. Uh, where else can they find more information to learn about some of the things that you're doing with regard to digital transformation and customer experience? There's so much content out there. There are literally thousands of articles and case studies on all of this on my website at bernardmar.com. You can, I have a YouTube channel where I talk about all of these technology trends. I have a podcast on the future of business and technology that people can subscribe to. And they can find me on social media, on, on LinkedIn, where I share all my content on Twitter, on Instagram. So there are plenty of ways to stay in touch. And I would love anyone listening to connect with me. Wow, those were some powerful points you made there, Bernard. It's critical to create a customer strategy that is both tech-focused and human-driven. But I think your points around having humility 
and the courage to be able to execute on the strategies is probably the force that really drives everything. So there we have it. Uh, I would like to uh, thank our listeners for joining us on today's episode. Subscribe to our Reimagine Marketing Podcast via your favorite platforms so you won't miss future episodes. We'll put all the resources that we mentioned, the Experience 2030 Pulse Report, the resources that Bernard mentioned into the show notes. And I would like you all to join me in the next episode, episode number three, Experience 2030, the future of customer experience, where we'll talk more about these macro trends that impact customers today and how brands can respond to them in real time. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you so much. 